Welcome to Ghost Riders Anonymous, an inspirational and interactive podcast where we create worlds through words and writing. I'm Kelsey, and today I'd like to know, if you were a cut of meat, what cut of meat would you be? I would be the New York Strip. Today I'm going to be reading a book that Leah's mother wrote called In His Paths by Judy Hare. She had it published through Barnes & Noble, but I don't think she's released it commercially. I think you have to get in touch with her to get a book or she's only really delving it out to people she knows. If what I've read on this podcast interests you, then you're welcome to email us at gwritersanon at gmail.com and I'm sure we can get a hold of a book for you. Leah had actually shared an excerpt from this book very early on in our podcast. It was episode 11, I want to say, True Love. And this whole book is a memoir of her mother, and it's dedicated to Leah's father, who died from a heart attack in 2018. It's a very heartwarming, sweet read. There's a lot of good lessons in here. It reminds me of those chicken noodle soup books for the soul. And here's Judy's author's note. In His Paths is not a novel. It is not a continuously flowing story of my life. Instead, it is written as 74 individual stories that took place throughout my life. Each story can be read, used, and appreciated in and of itself, without having any knowledge of the stories either before or after it. The stories, which were written over a span of more than 10 years, were not written in chronological order. However, I have placed them in chronological order in this book. I never intended to write a book to be published. I wrote the stories to leave behind for my children and grandchildren. As a result, some parts of the stories can be repetitive. I decided to leave the stories in their original forms as I wrote them, rather than rewrite them to eliminate the repetition. I thank you for your time and interest in reading my writings, and I hope they will inspire you as you walk your own path with God. It's important to note in this that Judy is hearing impaired, so she really is reliant on reading lips. She's been hearing impaired ever since she was a young girl. She wears hearing aids now, but I'm not sure how old she was when she actually followed through with getting them. Either way, that's an important note for this. And also, she's going to be mentioning Russ, and Russ is Leah's father. It's titled, The Secret Pal, A Story of Forgiveness. A gift given in secret averts anger. Proverbs 21.14 In August of 1983, Russ and I joined Oak Ridge Baptist Church in St. Peter's, Missouri, and we were members there for nine years. During that time, I served in several different positions and on several committees in the church. One of my earliest positions was fellowship and kitchen chairman, where I was in charge of the church's fellowship activities and coordinated all the food for church dinners, including the youth and children's programs. Every December, we would have a children's Christmas program. The Saturday before, all of the Sunday school classes would have their Christmas parties for the children with rehearsal times assigned in the sanctuary for the program the next night. Then, all the kids would come together for a pizza party in the fellowship hall. We had been doing this for several years, and the children's teachers all pretty much knew the routine. But still, every November, I would print out a reminder and hand deliver it to each of the children's class teachers to remind them of the parties they needed to start planning for that Saturday. And also that their classes would need a song, a skit, or some type of performance for the Christmas program. In 1987 or 1988, on the Monday before this annual event, the ladies of my own Sunday school class had a Christmas party at a local restaurant. We'd all had a great time, a good meal, and exchanged gifts. As the group was breaking up, one of the ladies spoke up and said, Guess I'll see you all on Saturday morning. Hope everybody's ready. The Christmas party was always a lot of fun, but kind of chaotic with all the excited children, craft making, noise, music, and pizza. 
another lady named Carol, who was also our church's secretary and taught the two to three year old class that my daughter Rachel was in, spoke up and asked, what's going on on Saturday? The rest of us kind of looked at her like, you're kidding, right? But Carol wasn't joking. She knew nothing about the event. Carol, I said, I gave you the notice last month. No, you didn't, Judy, she said. I never got anything about it. My husband and his friends are going hunting this weekend down in South Missouri, and I'm going along and have to pick them up Saturday evening. I can't be there Saturday morning. At this point, I started to get a little panicky. In four days, we had a room full of two to three-year-olds expecting to come to a Christmas party and rehearse for a program, and the teacher knew nothing about it and wasn't going to even be present. I told Carol she needed to call me by Tuesday evening if she couldn't work things out to be there Saturday, because we'd have to make some plans for her class if she couldn't. She was pretty upset and kept saying I hadn't given her the note, and I kept insisting I'd passed a note out to all of the teachers. To this day, I think she just misplaced it, and besides, we did this every year, and it had even been in the church bulletin which she had typed for the previous two Sundays. By Tuesday evening, I still hadn't heard back from Carol, so I called her and asked if she was going to be there Saturday. She still couldn't commit to the party, so I told her not to worry about it. I would take care of it for her. I really had enough to do as it was, but everyone else was already involved in some way, and I was just going to be in the kitchen that morning. So I began making plans for a children's party. Russ saw how frazzled I was, so he took Wednesday off work and stayed home with the two kids while I ran around town buying party favors, candy, gift bags, supplies for a couple of craft projects, and to make some games. Then I came home and started making stuff, getting everything ready and trying to figure out what the two to three-year-olds could sing for the program. I continued to work on this till I left to go to prayer meeting and take the kids to children's choir on Wednesday evening. As I was sitting in the church nursery talking with my friend Jane and Linda, the pastor's wife came in and sat down with us. She told me that Carol had come to her husband, brother Steve, in tears, telling him I had shoved her aside and was taking over her class. I was stunned. I had given Carol every opportunity to step up and she wouldn't do it. Linda had already told Steve what was going on before Carol came to him and he had advised Carol she should just go on with her weekend plans and let Judy handle it. Linda and Steve knew Carol was overreacting, but I still felt so offended that she'd been complaining to our pastor about me and telling untruths. It really hurt my feelings. Linda told me she would help me with the party Saturday and we came up with some songs the children could sing. Thursday morning, I continued to work on the games and stuff for the party. That evening, I was cleaning up after dinner when the doorbell rang. It was Carol. I asked her inside and she told me that the two to three-year-olds were her class and she thought that she was the one that should do the party. I told her I agreed with her and that I'd only stepped in because I thought she wasn't able to be there. I told her I'd purchased a lot of things already and asked if she'd like to have them. She said yes, so I went and got it all and showed her the pin the star on the Christmas tree game I'd made, the plastic ornaments they'd write their names on in glue and then glitter, the construction paper Rudolph antlers with red pom-pom noses they would make and wear when they sang in the program, the Christmas story coloring books, the gift bags, the candy, all of it. Everything I had planned. She then began to criticize everything and tell me why it wouldn't work for this age group, concluding with the statement, two to three-year-olds can't sing. I had a two-year-old daughter and she sang quite well. By the time she finished, I was struggling to hold back tears. Carol scooped up all the stuff and left, and I spent the rest of the evening crying and trying to figure out what I had done wrong. Russ had overheard all of this and kept telling me I hadn't done anything wrong and to let the entire situation just roll off me, but I was hurt. I wanted an apology. I thought Carol was my friend. How could she treat me like this and say all the things, not just to me, but to others too? It's the people we love and care about the most that have the greatest power to hurt us. If we didn't love them, we wouldn't care. 
The parties and rehearsal Saturday went well. Carol had come into the church kitchen once, and I had forced myself to speak nicely to her. As I was leaving the church, after cleaning up that afternoon, Brother Steve, our pastor, stopped me as I was getting into my car. Judy, he said, Linda has told me all that has been happening between you and Carol. You are both so important to our church family. Are you going to be able to forgive her? He asked. I looked at my pastor and friend and shrugged. Of course I can forgive her. Christ commands us to forgive each other. I really don't have a choice, do I? I laughed. Steve smiled at me and said, that's good. As the new year began, I continued to speak to Carol whenever I ran into her at church. She was pretty curt toward me at first, but I just kept talking to her. She was the church secretary, and sometimes I had stuff I had to take to her and checks to pick up for food or supplies. After several months passed, I thought the entire situation had been smoothed over and things were back to normal, but she never did apologize to me. That spring, my Sunday school class, which was made up of about 20 younger women, planned a ladies' night at my friend Pam's home. We were going to do a secret pal reveal and draw new names for the six-month period. I was sitting on the couch by my closest friend Jane as the basket of name slips began circulating around the room. A thought quickly flitted through my mind. I don't really care whose name I get as long as it's not Carol's. I believe this was the only time in my life that I actually heard the Holy Spirit's voice physically speak to me. Why don't you want Carol's name, Judy? I jerked straight up in shock. Had I accidentally expressed that thought out loud? I turned to Jane, whom I fully expected to be looking at me expecting an answer to her question, but she was turned away from me talking with someone on the other end of the sofa. On the other side of me was a table with a lamp against the wall. My eyes swept the room. No one was even looking at me. Then my eyes fell upon the basket approaching me. I closed my eyes and tried not to start crying. I knew what was going to happen. I just knew. I pulled a name slip from the basket and passed it on to Jane. I stuck the slip of paper in my purse at my feet. Later that night when I got home, I pulled the slip of paper out of my purse and unfolded it. I don't know why I even bothered to look at it. Carol. So for the next six months, I had to think about Carol. What does Carol like? How can I make Carol smile? Which of these cards would make Carol laugh? How can I sneak a Diet Coke, which Carol lived on, into her office at the church? I bought her small gifts, food, and left flowers on her front porch. During those six months, the forgiveness, which had been in my head because I knew Christ commanded it, moved down to my heart. It's quite a long distance between the head and the heart. Only God can teach this kind of forgiveness. It's just not in our human ability to do it on our own. True forgiveness is spiritual. To forgive is divine. It's about letting go of the hurt in order to prevent your heart from being hardened by what's happened. God commands forgiveness because he knows it's what's best for us. He knows how unforgiveness can destroy us. I had mentally obeyed God's command to forgive Carol, but then I also had to give myself completely over to God and allow his work to be completed in my heart as well. I was teaching a women's class years later, and I shared this forgiveness experience, and one of my ladies raised her hand. Judy, she asked, isn't forcing yourself to do nice things and speak nicely to someone who has hurt you when you don't really mean them hypocritical? I answered her immediately. No, it's obedience. It's putting what Christ expects of us before our own inclinations. It's claiming self-control, one of the fruits of the Spirit. Is it hard? Yes. Is it hypocritical? No. Also, during this six-month period, my young son Randy checked out a book from our library. It was titled Save by the Bell. It was a short story about a church mouse named Christopher who lived quite happily in a church with his family until a new caretaker brought in a cat, Tuffy. Christopher the mouse then tries to make peace with Tuffy by giving him a gift in secret, a bell that was Christopher's favorite toy, so that they could be friends. 
Tuffy would wear the bell so Christopher could hear his friend Tuffy approaching and always be able to get away so his new friend would not harm him. The Bible verse at the end of the book was Proverbs 21:14, A gift given in secret averts anger. At first, I thought the verse meant a gift would calm the receiver's anger towards the giver, but I know now it means the gift will pacify the giver's anger and heal his heart. By giving, my heart was healed. About a year later, Carol's husband was transferred and their family moved to Michigan. I bought her one final gift, a precious moment figurine of two friends hugging. I cried when we said goodbye. God bless you, Carol, wherever you are today. My favorite part of that story was when the basket of names was going around and Judy's thinking, I don't care whose name I get, just as long as it's not Carol's. And then when that voice came to her and said, why don't you want Carol's name, Judy? How alarming. And then the fact that she heard it so clearly was equally as impressive. That portion really stuck with me. And then as the story progresses, she's being made to think about Carol for six months in a happy way. What does Carol like? What will make her smile? And to allow forgiveness to slowly sink in. This was no short time frame. So she had six months to get used to this idea. I also thought it was really interesting how later on in her women's class, this woman raised her hand and made a good point. Isn't doing nice things when you don't really mean them hypocritical. And Judy said, no, it's obedient. And I think the difference there is it's obedience if you are truly trying to put a good intent in there. I think it's hypocritical when you're saying something nice and you have no intention of freeing that ill thought or ill feeling from your heart. So here, Judy is pacing out these six months with these kind, thoughtful gestures, and she isn't going home thinking, ugh, what's next? She's allowing it to change her. And I think it's neat that she had these helpful hints along the way, which I always like to think of that as these signs that are pointing you in the right direction and letting you know that you haven't strayed from a particular path. So I like these constant reminders that she's doing the right thing. And we get that when her son Randy brings home this book, which is a little conflicting for me because they refer to Christopher and Tuffy as friends. But then they also state that Christopher gives him the bell so Tuffy won't eat him, so he can hear him coming. It doesn't necessarily sound like a friendship to me, it just sounds like a contention. I'm gonna give you this bell under the guise of friendship, but it's really to alert me when you're around so I can get away. But, I mean, whatever, it's a children's book, you know, I just kind of let that slide. But the story as a whole, I love. Forgiveness is a hard thing. I really like how she shares in there. She felt like she was in the right, she felt like she had given Carol plenty of time and opportunity to spearhead this project. And I think that's the hardest part is when you feel slighted in every possible way. And then for someone to go behind your back and speak ill of you, or as Judy says, speak these untruths, it was deeply hurtful. It was the twisting of the knife. But that's why I like stuff like this, because I enjoy the relatability of it. And it was also neat just because of the family history here, of me knowing Leah when she was a girl, and then growing up in the same hometown, and hearing names that I had heard my grandparents talk about. And then she also has lots of pictures sprinkled throughout her stories. It felt so cozy, like I was at a family reunion flipping through a photo album. Oh, this is when we did this. This is when we did that. This is a really funny story. And I like stuff like that. There's a lot of stories in here that really touched me. There's one that Leah and I have talked about that she said she plans on sharing maybe later on in one of our episodes. But anyway, as I said, if you're interested in the book and you would love to read more of it, then please hit us up in our email, gwritersanon at gmail.com. We'll catch you guys next week.